where we invite you, Holy Spirit, come. Come and be with us, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. So there are times when every one of us will get really, really passionate about justice. For example, if you go to a store and you buy an item that is $10 and you hand them a $50 bill and the cashier gives you $10 back, I'll give you a second to do the math, <laughs> you want justice. You're supposed to get 30 more bucks back. So you want justice. Maybe on a little more serious bent, if you are accused of a crime that you know you did not do, but somehow people are coming forward and it looks like you did and evidence and whatnot, and now it looks like you're facing jail time for something you did not do, you want justice, am I right? You're gonna do everything you can to prove that you are innocent of this thing. Or if your sweet little boy, teenage boy ends up, you know, in some kind of scuffle with some other kid and there's some damage and so they're getting in trouble, but somehow the other kid gets off and now your kid's suspended. You want justice, right? That's not right. Or maybe if you have a lovely, intelligent daughter and she goes to school and she, um, you know, does all the work and has a beautiful uh, education and she goes and gets a job and then she finds out that she's doing the same exact job as this other guy, but he's getting paid twice as much as she is. You want justice for your daughter, am I right? So there's times when we are all very passionate about justice, generally when it has to do with us. Am I right? Generally has to do when it has to do with us. It's extremely clear we get passionate about it. And this is because as human beings, we instinctively know that there's a right and a wrong. That there's things that are just and there are things that are unjust. And so we feel it, especially if it's against us or someone we love. And this, is, this reflects the nature of God in us. God is a God of justice, and he made us in his image. And so we have that sense within us when something's not right, and it, and it bothers us. And that anger we feel if we're falsely accused, or if we're robbed of some of our money, or if our kids aren't treated fairly, that anger we feel is the same anger that God feels whenever any of his people, any of his creation suffers injustice. That's what he feels as well. Of course... He feels it more purely than we do, right? I mean, we tend to feel it most when it's something close to home, our family member, someone we love. But God is a God for all people. He's fired up about it all the time. <laughs> Bothers him all the time when people are suffering injustice anywhere, any of his people. And so for the next four weeks, we are going to be looking at what the Bible says about justice and diversity. And so this is going to be a, an opportunity to hear what God's heart is about these topics and to maybe catch some of his heart as well. And I will tell you that in the course of this, we will be touching on some of the current issues of our day. We will be touching on poverty and racism and oppression and some of the topics that are coming out uh, in our world today. But I want to also reassure you that I'm not going to be talking about policies or political parties or this candidate or that candidate or who, who we should vote for or anything like that. We are going to go to the Word of God, okay? We're going to go to the Word of God, and we're going to see what does God say, what does God feel about justice and, and diversity, and how can we catch his heart? See, we need to be catching our way of operating in the world from the Word of God. That's where we learn it from, not from... Fox News or CNN or anything else, we, got, we go to the Word of God first and then let that inform how we act out in the world. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be going into the Word, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, I, you know, some of you might feel at the end, like, I didn't go far enough. Maybe we should go into talking about some policies or how we should vote or some of those things, you know, and you'll wish I'd gone farther. 
And others of you will wish I'd never even started this whole series and that we could just talk about Jesus and loving and, you know, then, and you'll say, why do we even go here? And here's what I want to say to either of you or all of us is that we're vineyard, okay? And vineyard seeks to find the radical middle, that's what we call. It's called the radical middle. It means that we are able to hold intention, Things that seem like they might be opposite, but we hold in tension what is biblical truth. For example, we hold the tension of the kingdom being already here and yet not yet here. That's why sometimes people are healed because the kingdom is here, but sometimes they're also not because the kingdom is not already all, all here, right? And in the same way, we believe in the Bible as the word of God. It is God's, this is where we find our, our direction for life is from his word, but yet we also have the Holy Spirit who speaks to us. So there's a tension that we hold there. We hold a tension between seeking a mystical experience with God, knowing his presence and his voice. We seek that, but we also seek practical outworking. We, we serve, we, we do practical things to help in the world, right? We believe in spiritual healing, but also physical healing. We believe in spiritual justice and freedom, and we also believe in social and physical justice and freedom. Okay, so that's, the, that's, the, that's the, the vineyard, that we hold these tensions together and we say we're seeking God's truth. We want all of it. We want all of it. And so we're going to embrace all of God's word, not just the parts that maybe we're most comfortable with or most used to hearing about, and we're going to allow God to widen us and to broaden us to be in that radical middle place. Amen? Amen. So it's in this way we're going we're gonna to seek the word today. We're going to be united around Jesus and his word and what it says. And so we're going to go to the whole counsel of God together. And let's let the Lord speak to us. Let's just start out by saying, Lord, I want to be open to you no matter where I am, where, how old in the Lord I am, young in the Lord, whatever background I have, I'm going to open my heart up to you, Lord. May you illuminate any blind spots I might have. Would you open up my heart? And to hear your word. Amen. So today we're going to start with who is God. We're going to talk about God and that God is a God of righteousness and justice. And he wants us to be the same. But he's described this all throughout scripture. Let me just start with a few passages. Isaiah 30, 18. For the Lord is a God of justice. Deuteronomy 32, 4. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. I find this such an interesting passage. We tend to think of God as love. That's the main thing, and everything else is sub subservient to that. But here it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation. And then love, love goes out from that. Interesting, right? And a key passage, I believe, for this series, Psalm 11, 7, for the Lord is righteous, he loves justice, the upright will see his face. When we tend to think about righteousness and justice in Christian circles, when we preach about it, we tend to talk about sin, this, that has to do with sin and punishment or consequences for sin. Um, for example, you know, we think about, yes, it was God's justice that allowed the people of Israel to be conquered because they had not followed his ways. They had sinned against him, sinned against one another, and so God allowed them to be exiled and, and, um, and scattered, right? So we think of that as God's justice. Or sometimes we even think about our salvation, that Jesus had to come so that we could become his righteousness. That, that We think about it in terms of sin and consequences for sin, but actually, if you study the Bible, the concepts of righteousness and justice are much bigger than that. They're much broader than just 
the sin part. It is, includes the sin part, but it's even broader than that. And so I'm going to share with you a video this morning, a little, little movie time. Um, we're going to share a video that was shared with us at the Vineyard Conference in Phoenix in the fall. Paul and myself and Elisa went to this um, conference, and one of the keynote speakers was Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. Now, if you're a Bible Project fan, that's like a rock star, Tim Mackey. You know, you hear his voice, and you're like, oh, it's the Bible Project guy. Like, it just, he has this very distinctive voice. And so he was a keynote speaker. And um, the Bible Project, for those of you that don't know, is a nonprofit organization that puts out animated videos of, of books of the Bible and also of, um, you know, concepts around, biblical concepts. And they are amazing, really. If you have not gone on, you should go on BibleProject.com. Great for your kids to learn about the Bible. If you're studying a book of the Bible, pull it up. Um, but we got to hear him. Um, at, they showed several videos, and then Tim Mackey and Jay Pathak, our national director of the Vineyard, got to talk about it. So it was awesome. And they presented this one video on justice. And I have to say, I think maybe Paul and Relisa would agree with me that it was probably one of the best explanations of biblical justice I've ever heard. So I thought, let's just watch it together. It's going to be a way to kick off our series. So I'm going to ask our sound people if they would cue up the Bible project on justice. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour... If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use. But what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. 
Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like... Here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. catch half of that so please pull up that that video at some point i think it's on the facebook
uh, page that you can pull it up and watch it a couple more times. I had to do it several times myself. It's so good. But what I'm going to do right now is just kind of point out a couple key points from here and then say, how does this kind of biblical justice work out in our lives, on our everyday lives as a church and as people? And so the first thing that I want to just remind us of what he said is that these two themes of righteousness and justice um, really are based on these two Hebrew words, tzedakah and mishpat, righteousness, tzedakah, and mishpat. And um, it's interesting that in the verse that I quoted earlier, Psalm 89, 14, those are the two words that are used. So righteousness, tzedakah, and justice, mishpat, are the foundation of your throne. So this is the foundation of who God is, and it's the foundation of who he wants us to be as his image bearers, as his children, as who we are. And, you know, they, in, the, in the video, they talked about tzedakah. What is it? It's right relationship between people. It is acting rightly toward one another. It's Test, test, okay. I might just go with this because switching back is fine. Anyway, all right. So tzedakah, righteousness, he talked about, is this doing right to one another, right? Treating one another with a God-given dignity that we each deserve as, the, as people made in God's image. But then mishpat is this restorative judge, justice, which was interesting. It's not just retributive justice, meaning, you know, you do something wrong, you get punished for it. That we tend to think of, again, as justice, but it's also this idea of restorative justice, that we are restoring what things are not right. Okay, here we go. We're switching back. Oh my goodness, there we go. Okay, are we all ready to go? Woo! In case you thought we were really slick and smooth up here, we're not. Uh, okay, all right. Restorative justice. This is an interesting concept, this idea of taking concrete actions to correct injustice. That this is what God is talking about. When he's talking about justice, it's not just personal justice, but it's correcting, helping vulnerable people. And I like the way the video talked about, it's not just charity. It's not just, you know, writing a check out to the food bank or dropping a few coins in, you know, the homeless person's jar. It's actually taking concrete steps. It's, it's um, you know, advocating for the vulnerable. It's, it's standing up and giving voice to those who have no voice. It's, it's making a difference in the world out there to create an opportunity for there to be no injustice. That is what uh, we are meant to be doing. That's the restorative justice he's talking about. And many scriptures talk about it. He, he um, mentions them here in the video, Jeremiah 22, 3. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who's been robbed. To be rescuers. 
Um, Proverbs 31, 8, 9, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights and the, of the poor and the needy. So we're to be rescuing, we're to be speaking up. This is, this is beyond just charity. This is going out and making a difference. And the words from Proverbs, it's interesting, this verse here, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, often is used in Christian churches when they're talking about the unborn. And certainly the unborn are those who have no voice, right? And we should be able to give voice to the needs of the unborn, but that's not the only people in our world who have no voice, right? There's many other types that have no voice. For example, a young single mother, who maybe is working and cannot afford to miss a day of work and she can't afford childcare, but her child has COVID, what does she do? She has no voice, she has no power, she has no ability to help her situation. How about a child who's stuck in an abusive and alcoholic home and has no way out of there? That child has no voice. We need to have voice for them. How about an 18 year old who ages out of foster care and has nowhere to go because the system has just ended and now all of a sudden they have to go on their own and they have no connections and no place to live. These are people who have no voice. How about a, a young woman in Thailand who literally has her dignity stripped from her as she's trafficked in that land? These are people that have no voice and we are to lend our voices to them. That's what justice is. That's restorative justice. There's many, many more. I could go on with lists a mile long of people in our communities, right here in Greensboro, in our country, and in the world who have no voice. And God is saying, I want you to care about that. I want you to give them voice. I want you to do mishpat. Do mishpat. So God doesn't ask us to do something that he hasn't already done. And the video kind of touched on this, that through history, God has been a God of mishpat of justice for us. He has been a restorer of justice. And I'm gonna take us on just a quick little history lesson here. We start all the way back with creation. And God created us to be in his image, male and female. He created us to live in beautiful harmony and equality between male and female, and we know how well that worked out. Right away, sin, the rebellion of Adam and Eve caused pain and patriarchy to be introduced into the system, which we're suffering from ever since. And all kinds of other evil came from that moment. Cain and Abel, the first siblings, one killed the other. So already, off the bat, restorative justice was needed, right? Even just right from the beginning. And then what did God do? So God, and they talked about this in the video, they, God sent, uh, selected, chose a nation to be his people the people of Israel. He chose Abraham and his offspring to be a people of righteousness and justice, of tzedakah and mishpat. And in Isaiah 58, this is not on, your, on the screen, but it says that when, the, it said that when the people, if they would set the oppressed free, if they would share their food with the hungry and clothe the naked, this is what it said. It says, your light will break forth like the dawn, your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. This was the beautiful vision for God's people to be people of righteousness and justice for all and guess what that didn't work out either <laughs> right because they also served other gods and worshiped other gods and did not act with mishpat toward one another and the prophets talk about it over and over again just one example amos 2 7 the people of israel trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed and so the nation ended up scattered and exiled. And so, yet again, God, a need for restorative justice. So what does God do? If we go forward in history, he sends Jesus. And Jesus, if you think about it, committed the ultimate act of mishpat, of restorative justice, 
because he went outside of himself and he took on our sin and he died for us so that we could be reconciled to God. He took on the pain and the suffering that should have been ours and he took it on himself and now we are set free. He set us free. We were the oppressed. We were the, we were the poor in spirit and he has set us free and he's given us new life. That's what Jesus did. He is the ultimate person of mishpat and he's done it for you and for me. And why did he do it? Guess what? So that we could go do it for others so we could be bringers of restorative justice to others and so the last piece of history here is that God establishes church and he said this church you want any, any guesses what he wants our church to be a place of righteousness and justice what he intended for us from creation what he intended from the nation of Israel he now intends for us as this church to be people of restore of, of righteousness and justice mishpat and tzedakah Jeremiah prophesies about Jesus and says he is going to execute justice and righteousness on the earth. That's what Jesus brings. He brings that, that tzedakah to us. And it says in Romans 12 that we are not to be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. So we are the ones who are meant to be the bringers of, of restoration, of justice and righteousness in the world. Now for Christmas... I got a new commentary. This is the kind of nerdy thing that pastors get for, for Christmas. I'm so excited. I love it. Look how thick it is. I love a thick commentary. Um, but this commentary is called the South Asia Bible Commentary. This is part of my ongoing effort to find materials and, and um, you know, orthodox evangelical Christian commentary from theologians who are from other ethnicities and other languages and other countries. Because unfortunately in seminary you tend to get only kind of white European influences. You don't get as much of others. And there's a lot of theology going on all over the world, uh, believe it or not, uh, when, uh, not only in Europe. And so um, this is the South Asia Bible commentary really representing voices from um, South, Southeast Asia, Asian countries. And it's fascinating. And um, one of the quotes I wanted to read to you is, is when Dr. Richard Howell, who is actually the executive secretary of India's Council of Churches, Evangelical Council, he talks about the book of Micah and where it says that we're to do justice. Uh, and this is how he talks about justice. He says, to describe someone as just means far more than that they judge on the basis of a set of absolute legal standards. It implies that they reach out to those who have fallen through the social net and to try to help them reintegrate into society. God's zeal for justice is part of his moral perfection and his desire for the best of his creatures. I love that phrase, that God has moral perfection, and this is why he wants justice for all people, not just for some, for the, the, the lucky ones, but for all of us. It's part of his moral perfection. It's apparent in all of his dealings with his people in redemption and salvation. He is frequently described as the defender of the oppressed, the one who liberates captives and feeds the hungry. As God's covenant people, we are required to be like him, which means that we too must be righteous and just in relation to him and to our neighbors. Our religious, our religious observances are of little value if they're not accompanied by a concern for social justice. I thought that was so well said. So what does this mean for us? How do we go forward from this as people of God, as, as people at Gates City Vineyard? How do we go forward? I want to talk about two practical things that we need to be thinking about doing as we are people of justice and righteousness. And the, the, I'm going to be kind of borrowing heavily from this passage in Isaiah 58, which is so powerful. Read Isaiah 58. It's a great, great passage. 
the first thing it says is that we must personally make sure we are acting justly. In all of our personal dealings, he starts out in Isaiah 58 too, day after day, my people seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. So this is, he's, this is all to say, he's writing to religious people, people like us. We want to do God's will. We want to be right. We want to, you know, please him. So he's saying, this is, these are who I'm talking to. And he goes on to say this, and this is harsh. Isaiah 58, 4 to 10. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. See, they're, they're thinking they're religious on one hand and yet on the other hand, they're exploiting their workers. I keep thinking about James. Do you, do you find that James just keeps coming to mind because we just studied it? <laughs> I keep getting James. I, keep, I think of James when he says, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, my brothers, it's not ought to be. Right? It's like, how can you be both? How can you be this two-faced where you're trying, you're saying one thing, but you are acting another way? And then I started to think, Lord, are we sometimes like that? Where we think we're good, we think we're good Christians, but... We are not necessarily always just in all our personal ways. In the way we handle our money, in the way we earn our money, sometimes the way perhaps we report our money on our taxes, are we just in all of that? Are we just in little white lies or ways that we manipulate the people around us to get the things that we want? Are we just? Are we just in the organizations we spend our money on, maybe the organizations that may be committing human rights violations or things that we know are not right? Are we just in how we spend our money and where we, where we spend our time? Are we just in our compassion for the poor that are all around us, or do we turn a blind eye, the immigrant, the homeless? And then I start to think about all the prejudices that we have, and we all have them, if you tell me today you don't have any prejudices, I, you're lying, <laughs> because we all do. We all come from a perspective where people different than us, we, we have feelings about that. It's actually physiologically built into us to kind of be more attracted to people like us, right? It's easier. But so, so I started to think about the prejudices we have toward people of different cultures or races, maybe treating them differently, harboring attitudes, oh, they do this or they do that. We all do that. Attitudes perhaps of fear or resentment that we might have, carrying a lack of understanding, maybe even an unwillingness to listen. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Am I just? Am I just? It is our responsibility to seek those things out in our own hearts. Okay, I can't point them out for you, but it's for us to ask the Holy Spirit, point out, Lord, where I might be unjust, where I might have prejudices against others. And you know, it's, it's been a painful revelation for me to see over the years how much tolerance I have had for injustice and prejudice in my own life. How even to this day, if someone's coming toward me and it's a man and it's a person of color, I'm more likely to cross the street because I'm a little worried about my safety. That's just prejudice straight up. Or how I'm very reluctant to help out a person, a homeless person on the, on the floor, on the ground, because it just makes me uncomfortable because they kind of smell a little bit and they're kind of weird looking and it's hard. I'm a little uncomfortable. <laughs> or, or the way I don't even often bother to ask the name of people who are serving me 
Like, you know, if you come in this door, I'm going to say, hey, what's your name? My name's Beth. But people serving me, you know, I'm just paying them, whether in my home or out at a restaurant or a store. I, I'm, you know, I'm just, they're just doing what I'm paying them to do. No, no, they are people made in the image of God. I need to ask their name. So I'm being really vulnerable with you here. I hope that's okay. <laughs> but I'm just telling you that, that I'm not proud of those things, but those are things that the Lord, the Holy Spirit starts to like light up in me, and I'm like, Lord, I need to change. And we can be nice people. I think I'm a nice person. <laughs> Basically, I'm a nice person. But I think that all of us tend to have these prejudices, these, these ways in which we might be unjust. So can we ask the Lord, would you ask the Lord with me? Would you ask the Lord, am I just? In the way I treat people, my personal affairs, in the way I work with people, I have influence or power over, whether my family, my workplace, wherever. We need to be personally just. Amen? Amen. Can I get an amen? I need a little, need a little reassurance after all that. All right. So the second thing that we get from this, how we are to act. So first we know from these passages, from all that the Bible says about God as being a God of righteousness and justice and how it, he cares about it, it's a big deal to him, it's important that we are personally just. But it goes even further than that. If you look in the scriptures, what it's saying, there's a second implication for us. And it's that we must be agents of justice for those who have no voice. This is clear all through scripture. Isaiah 58 continues. He's continuing after talking about the fasting that they did where they were not personally just, but now he's saying you need to go beyond that. He says, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your noon will become like the noonday. Wow. God is broadening out this idea of justice, isn't he? I mean, it's not just about being just in our own little life, in our own little family, in our own little workplace, but he's also saying, break every yoke, set the oppressed free, and get to spend yourself on behalf of the hungry. That's a sacrifice. Spend yourself on behalf of the hungry. We're meant to be these agents of justice out in the world. And this is where we get stuck because we're very individualist in the U.S., and so we say, well, I'm, you know, I'm okay. You know, how many times, have, I'm sure many of us, have, I'm not a racist, so, you know, not my issue, right? I, I'm, I'm good to all people. I'm not a misogynist. I don't mistreat women. I'd pay them the same if they were working for me. Like, I'm good. I give money to the poor. And this all may be true. We may be awesome in our own individual justice, but God is requiring us that we look beyond our own lives. That, he's, that we're helping the lives of others in the world, committing to changing the world, the systems that, that create the injustice out there in the world. That's what God is actually challenging us to do here in Isaiah 58. It's amazing. It's pretty big. To set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, to be agents of justice for those who have no voice. Um, you know, it's interesting because in some ways I'm preaching to the choir. We know this as a church, that we're meant to help that it's not just about our own little holy huddle here, but that we're meant to go out and serve and, and give and be present in our community. I know that you know that. And, and so many of you have done so much about that and so much in giving. That's your heart. 
And that's, that's what we want to do as Christians. But it's very, very interesting that I have observed, and this is just an observation, I know there's exception, but depending on what kind of church you go to, you tend to focus on a different kind of mishpat, a different kind of restorative justice. And again, just an observation, but if you tend to go to a white evangelical church, generally the kinds of mishpat or justice that you take on are missions work and helping of the poor, feeding the poor, clothing the poor, maybe building houses for the poor, all of that. So that tends to be the kind of mishpat that, that a white evangelical church will do. If you go to a more racially diverse church, a, a black church or an ethnic church, the kind of mishpat they do is very different. It's often about helping poor communities. It's often about setting, you know, helping in the injustices of our society, legal injustices, and, 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 and how to help our children learn so that they can get out of the, where they are and, and grow and get education. They're very focused on education. So it's very interesting, the difference. We tend to focus where we're most comfortable and what we've experienced. It's what I said at the beginning, right? When the justice has to do with us, we're very creative about how we're going to fix it. But when it doesn't have to do with us, it's very easy to not just sort of ignore it. Guess what? God cares about all of it. I mean, we, we, we tend to be comfortable in one area or another, but God cares about all who have suffered injustice. And so we have to be careful. We have to, again, this is a, a self-searching thing, not to think this thing will, you know, it's not my issue. You know, if I'm, I'm, I'm a man, so it's not really my issue that women aren't paid the same as men. I mean, you know, it's the women's issue. Or, you know, I'm not black, so I, the ish, black, that there's injustices toward black people, that's not my issue. Or even, I'm, I'm not Jewish, so the fact that people paint swastikas on synagogue doors is not my issue. I had a dear friend, a rabbi of North, who had that happen to him. So, you know, again, unless you know it, unless it's happening to you, we tend to say, well, that's terrible, but it's not my issue. And guess what? God's saying, it's our issue. It's my issue. God cares. God is in pain over it. Let us ask God to enlarge our hearts. To say, Lord, I, I want to care about it all. I want to bleed for it all. I want to weep for it all. Our hearts need to be big enough to embrace all people and any kind of injustice that's happening in our world to embrace each issue, whether they're black people or white people or women or men or LGBTQ or you know, Jewish people or Muslim people or handicapped people or disabled people. There is injustice in our world and may our hearts grow. May our hearts grow to just hear it and see it, and then ask God, what am I to do? I know you can't do everything. I can't do everything. We can't all march in every parade. We can't all build every house. We can't all do all of it, but we can, we can care about all of it. We can cheer on those who are doing things in certain areas, and then we can ask God, what is the mishpat I'm supposed to do? Where am I supposed to spend myself? on behalf of someone who has no voice. Does that make sense, church, this morning? That's for us to do. And finally, let's not miss this very interesting point in the Isaiah passage, lest you are still thinking, eh, I don't know about all this. Let me just here show you this. God puts all of this as a prerequisite to answering our prayers. Did you catch that? He says, if you do these things, then when you call, the Lord will answer you. That's pretty harsh. The implication is, if you don't care about justice, if it seems irrelevant to your life, if you're like, I'd really rather we weren't talking all about this, can we get back on to Jesus? I just wanted to do that. You know, if that's the way you're feeling, then God's saying, I may not answer your prayers. 
So I feel this is stunning. This was a surprise to me to find this tucked in there, to connect my care about justice and setting free the oppressed and, 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 and helping those who have no voice, that that is somehow connected to God hearing my prayers and answering. It's amazing. I want us to put this message, these words in our hearts. This is God's heart. This is God's heart. Do we want to have God's heart this morning, church? I want to have God's heart. Even if it pricks me a little bit, even if it challenges me, even if it stretches me, I want to have God's heart. Let me just read to you one last scripture about his heart. Listen to all the things that God cares about. Psalm 146, 7-9. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, and he frustrates the way of the wicked. One last reading from my new commentary about this psalm. It says, the Lord has a special place in his heart for the oppressed and the hungry, the prisoners and the blind. He's the personal God who is willing and able to defend the defenseless. He provides food for both the physically and spiritually hungry, frees those in physical and spiritual prison, and heals both physical and spiritual blindness. Amen. So as I'm bringing this to a close, I know in some ways talking about injustice all morning is a little, a little heavy, a little hard. Um, but I want to remind us of one really joyful thing, is how much joy there comes when there is justice. Think about it. When things are made right, aren't you so happy? <laughs> I mean, that's where the joy comes. The joy comes in the justice. When things are put to right, there's joy in heaven and on earth. We had a friend up north who was incarcerated for 19 years for a crime he didn't commit. And we didn't know him during that whole time, but we knew him after he had finally, through the efforts of a, the mother of a person in our church, he was exonerated. And I don't need to tell you the joy of that man coming out of that prison after 19 years to his wife, to his children. After all of that, for there to be justice. Now, of course, there was a lot of pain and a lot of healing that needed to take place. That was so much taken away from his life, right? A lot of forgiveness, a lot, of, lot, lot to take on there. But there was joy because justice had finally been done. Justice had been done. And when, when people are set free, when people are cared for, when people are, are loved, when people are heard, and their voice is being given voice, and we stand up for them, there's joy, there's joy when God makes things right. And we can be part of that. We get to be part of that. God makes us part of that in his world. That's what he wants us to be. And then people will see that joy, what comes, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by what we do, by how we are, those people of righteousness and justice. So I'm going to ask the band to come up as I remind us and just encourage us here. Let's, at Gate City Vineyard, be people of tzedakah and mishpat, of righteousness and justice, of treating one another with the respect and the dignity that they deserve, of being those who will give our voice to the voiceless, who will, who will be people who will, will break the yoke. And we can only do this as the Spirit of God works in us. We're going to be singing a song by your Spirit, only by your Spirit, God. 
Only by your spirit can this be done. Oh, because naturally, we don't do this. The, the first family, Adam and Eve, and, uh, and Cain and Abel, show that, right? Right from the start. We don't naturally fall into being people of righteousness and justice. It's only by the spirit of God. And so I want to ask us right now to just go ahead and open up our hearts to invite in the Holy Spirit of God. And if some of the things I've said today have challenged, maybe even irritated or pinched you this morning, I'm going to ask that you not shy away from it, but that you press into it. Press into it. Lord, what am I meant to learn from this, Lord? Why, am, why do I react that way, Lord? Start to make me a person of justice and righteousness like you, God. Help me to have your heart. God, your heart beats for justice. It beats for rightness. I invite the prayer teams to come forward. As we have just a few moments to reflect on this, I'm going to ask the band if they could sing this very quietly, just, just gently to sing, by, not by might, not by power just for a couple minutes while we allow people, if you want to come up and be prayed for, if you just want your heart to be enlarged, if you want to be prayed for about anything else, it doesn't have to be about justice, come on up and be prayed for. And meanwhile, while you're in your seats, just let's, let's let God speak to us. And after we maybe do it once through quietly, you can, we'll sing it all together.